hamster with a blunt penknife and do it quicker. Welcome back to A Hamster with a Blunt Penknife, the Doctor Who commentary podcast. Five episodes into the invasion, and I have a question for you straight off the bat, if you are prepared. Yes, please. Okay, this is an eight-part Doctor Who story, so technically it's almost four hours long, about three and a half hours. Mm -hmm. Um, Could Doctor Who sustain a narrative this long in in the present day and age? Uh, we'll find out starting on the 31st of October when Flux starts, I think. But uh, I do feel that this is probably stretching it where you've got the same characters in the same setting, uh, same threat, etc. So probably not for eight weeks. Um, interesting. In the in new series, fashion, when they, whenever they've kind of extended beyond two parts into three, it's like Turn Left, Stolen Earth, Journey's End, uh, Utopia, Sound of Drums. It's three very individual, very unique episodes that are completely different from each other, just with a narrative that continues in each one, rather than this, like this. Yeah, that's true. One narrative, isn't it, with right. one set of characters. Mm, yeah, exactly right. And I don't think we'll get that with Flux uh, either. But um, <clears throat> the other way that it's broken up in that is that even if there are two of those three parts are you know, a continuation of, what, of one another. The second part doesn't always flow on from the cliffhanger essentially of that, of that first part. Um, you know, and Moffat's famous for that, but even, even Russell you know, did that, I think back to uh, the series three, two-parter, Last of the uh, Sound of Drums, uh, Last of the Time of Sound of Drums. And that doesn't pick up from you know, the, that amazing cliffhanger at the end of that that first part it goes into something quite different and we get you know a bit of a, a time lapse um so in that instance again it's it's like the move the story has moved on from where we were and there isn't that continuation in the same way that we have with classic through the cliffhangers i think the i mean the point i'm trying to make is uh what you can't do with the new series is absolutely what you can do with the classic series and that is yeah, I'm a bit of a miserable day. It's raining and you can whack on oh. eight episodes of Doctor Who and just get lost in a big, long story, you know? And don't think I haven't. Don't think I haven't. This is one of my go-to ones for, for that kind of Sunday, rainy day kind of thing. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Do you know what mine is? Like my ultimate. Your ultimate? Yeah. My ultimate rainy day, day is, is John Pertwee. Oh, it's Planet of the Daleks, isn't it? It is Planet of the Daleks! <laughs> how did you know that <laughs> because it's one of the most sedately paced pertwees where you can actually oh. do that and you can go away for 45 minutes and make a sandwich and the rest of it and you still haven't missed too much and you know where you are sedate what are you talking about it's got a ruddy <laughs> ice cano erupting all over the planet <laughs> all i'll say is that target does it wonders Oh my word! In the Target novel, right? Though, so nothing to do with the invasion. <laughs> in the Target novel, the entire <laughs> ice cano erupts all over the forest and like crystallizes yeah. it all. Oh, just yeah. if they could have done that, amazing. Oh, Instead, what we get is a bit of polyfiller coming down the tunnel towards the fowls. <laughs> but to me, you know, when I first watched it, it was dramatic enough. You know, I got the point. It was the 70s and they had inflation, so what could you That's do? Point, you know, with the invasion and Ian Martin's novelisation, did he make this even more spectacular than it is on screen? 
You know, I have, I have memories of uh, there being far more descriptions of the um, action sequences. So I think we got a bit more about that. Um, whereas in particular, we we're talking about part episode eight earlier. I, do, I don't think we have the kind of, um, you know, sitting around waiting for stuff to happen in the, in the novelization. I think there's a bit more actual stuff happening. Mm. I'm going to read that again. I'm, I'm intrigued that there's a swear word in there as well. Unusual for the target range. <laughs> Not unusual for Ian Marder, though. No. <laughs> That's a man. Okay, well, okay, let's skip into episode six of The Invasion, because I have a feeling exciting mm. things are about to happen. And I think this is the episode, and I want to pinpoint the moment where I think, aside from one moment in Jodie Whittaker's time, the premise of the Cybermen is at its most impressive and its most chilling. Anyway, we'll Ooh. see. Let's start, shall we? Count us in. Five, four, three, two, one. Let's go. Let us go. We, well, we talked about the Cybermen in an earlier episode um, and about how we both kind of felt that the premise of the Cybermen, uh, which is a genuinely scary one of losing your identity and your emotions, that's not what they do with the Cybermen nine times out of ten in Doctor Who, is it? Very often it's like stormtroopers on the move. Yeah, yeah, stompy robots really that don't actually carry that menace uh, and implicit threat of you being converted and losing your humanity. Yeah. Oh, can I just do one thing? I'm going to have to um, just turn this up a second because the music. What are we going to do? You can't hear it, it's on the side, man. That's that sound design. Well. That music is excellent. Like, mm. it's Don Harper, you say, and he, he is absolutely brilliant in this, except for one piece that sort of recurs every now and again. Oh, I, that I know is what just bizarrely out of place. <laughs> and you know, like, don't you? <laughs> I call it the sort of like pseudo, you know, bridge over river quiet light uh, instrumentation, where it tends to be accompanying. It tends to accompany shots of you know, you not doing heroic things, or you know that that I think first gets introduced when we first see the Hercules, and it's just like this is nonsense. But then, I, you know what? It's not without form, you know, because you skip forward to Ambassador of Death and it's like, um, what is it? It's like, what is it with all this jaunty music and unit? They're a bloody force. Yeah, Liz Shaw's chased over a weir. Yeah. Oh, I love that scene. That's amazing, that scene. Look at the lighting in this scene. Yeah, the, so the lights coming from behind the soldiers, the, the you only see the outline, not even all of the outline, half the outline of the Cybermen in the distance, the uh, the light reflecting and refracting, you know, th uh, third man style off the, the cobblestones, etc. I mean, this is just wonderful. I mean, I want to transplant you now, Stephen, and pretend that you're a four-year-old watching this in 1967 or whenever it was, at your mother's knee, Ooh. in the dark, okay. and you're watching this... That screaming side men and those silhouetted side, I mean, it's bloody terrifying. Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And How of course, I mean, it's a different 
era isn't it like you're not we're not used to the marvel superheroes and all the rest of it at that time that hasn't happened yet so this is this is the equivalent of that uh and you're watching it also on, on a very tiny screen with low resolution so again it's the imagination doing what the imagination does which is to fill in the blanks and the the bits that you think you remember seeing but really it's just a uh, memory cheating you want there's something to that you know what you just said there because when the vhs's came out and they weren't as clean as the latter-day DVDs and Blu-rays. Mm -hmm. Some of yep. them were scarier when it was a bit grainier and a bit less um, visible. Yeah, talking of ambassadors, as you were a couple of minutes ago, that's one that I can only watch in black and white. Um, and it's because of the crappy tape, master tape that was used initially. Uh, it just feels so wrong when you when it's uh, in, in colour. I will only watch... Um, invasion of the dinosaurs episode one invasion in black and white because it's so oh, really it's so much more atmospheric in black and white yeah maybe you're right actually okay i, I, I mean let's talk about the direction in this scene um because i think this is not an easy scene to shoot you got him coming out but look there the camera's from below he's whacking down on the arm it's kind of traumatic yeah 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 it does this shot far better than he's done in Tomb of the Sidemen as well, um, which is a bit stagey and a bit... Um, we haven't got those Donald Duck yeah, noises as well, have you? That kind of meow, 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 meow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. well you, you get that from the cyber planet, don't you? Oh, that's true, yeah. I really feel like he's he's a position in that camera where there's really interesting stuff. There's like, I don't know what that scaffolding was behind there, but he's determined yeah. to make every shot visually interesting yeah um, definitely and i wonder whether if you went back to those uh, locations like mark did whether you'd find you know urban redevelopment and the streets looking a lot prettier you know you, it just feels like this is still london that's hung like you know the hangover of the, the second world war there's empty lots and um you know fallow ground and and, and buildings that is you know still derelict I mean, I think about um, Resurrection of the Daleks and how oh, absolutely... Oh, my word. Like, if you... I mean, I went down there a few years ago when I was last in London and it's just like prime real estate, yeah. incredibly wealthy and sort of... It was just you know, derelict, wasn't it? When they shot that, you yeah. know, that scene uh, with the policeman coming out and shooting the tramp and the soldiers. Uh, now, yeah. it is the most expensive part of London to live in, Shad Thames. Like, it is... Yeah, I wouldn't doubt it. Yeah. Oh, look at that. That yeah, really yeah. does look like the sort of pictures you see in those magazines where it's like, oh my God, actual aliens. You know? <laughs> yeah. I saw a UFO and here's the video proof of it. It's, yeah, very low res. Poor Isabel. I th do you know that, that moment with Trouton just then where he was fiddling about? I think that might be one of his only scenes in this episode. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, here he is popping his head up. I mean, I, I don't... I. Don't feel this story suffers, or I mentioned it before, but I also feel like that was a real issue at some point, whether it's 44 or 48 episodes a year, I forget exactly which one it is, to expect your um, central character, your star, to front up every single minute for all of that time. It's no wonder they have, you know, Dr. Light and even companion light um, stories in, uh, these days. It just makes so much more sense. 
Well, and, and there is a huge uh, expectation on that lead character, isn't it, to you know, you know front these stories and be in practically every scene. And like, it's not, it's not like they're just winging it. But the difference is, I think Troutman would very happily step back and just have a few scenes in an episode. Someone like Pertwee, if he sensed that he was being written out of you know stories, I think he'd have a few yeah. things. Like. No, I, and I'm sure he did. Um, but. By being surrounded by an ensemble, I think um, you allow or you support your your lead lead characters to be able to sort of step back and have that rest where it's required, because you know the brigadier can have a subplot, and the, you know um, even Mike Yates gets a subplot later on with Green Death through to um, Planet of Spiders. Um, this is the sequence I was telling you about. Um, oh yes, this is the sequence where he taunts Watkins, hands him the gun, hits him round the face, and literally mm -hmm. encourages him to shoot him in the chest. I mean, it's very adult. And then when he pulls it back, and he's got like the smoking holes coming out of his chest. And the, mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to describe that, it's like the inhumanity of it all. It just really, for yeah. me, that, 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 that's the premise of the Cyberman right there. And he's laughing as the, the smoke's coming out of his chest. Yeah. And when I first watched that, that genuinely gave me chills. Um, and I think it's the performance, I think it's also the direction. And the extreme lengths he goes to to make him shoot him. Yes, uh, the, the emotional abuse and baiting. The only um, other that, time that sort of precedes it. The only other time where I've held my breath watching a Sideman episode is in the haunting of Villa Diodati when a shadow oh, yeah. the baby, and I was yeah. convinced that we were going to see infant side on Doctor Who. Like for a second, I literally went, oh, "They're not going to go there. They're not." Like, so I think these two moments when, are two of the best sort of sidemare moments. Yeah, look, we were never going to go there in in modern Doctor Who. You just simply couldn't put this scene that we're seeing right now on television these days. Absolutely no chance. Okay, why is that the case? There's the the extreme visceral violence. There's the you know the gunshot. There's even the um you know the bullet holes through the shirt, as you mentioned, Joe. Like that, no chance would you ever have that allowed by uh, you know people high up. And uh, even screenwriters these days just wouldn't go to those uh, those lengths. They'd no, no, no. This is this is forbidden. The boatman, we're not going to be able to have it. So right around it. Like you certainly wouldn't have one character shooting another character at close range, would you? Like there's just there's just no way. No. But I think that is a huge difference between classic Who and modern Who. Is classic Who is more violent and it's just a bit dirtier and a bit nastier. Like in yeah. certain periods, if you go into Hinchcliffe, um, if you go to mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. Pertwee, I mean, there are scenes there, you know, like the 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 Mulcher in the Seas of Doom, like uh, um, you know, the the guy being turned into the crinoid, like trying to not eat the meat in that. Like, there's just things that you just wouldn't have on television that's being consumed by children now. Yeah, but it's not just Doctor Who. I feel that. Oh, there's Vaughn's vicious oh, right slap. Yeah, jeez. Oh. Even watching it now, it's just like, did he actually slap him? I don't know. And Professor Kedwell. And look, look at the way the camera goes in on his face. Yes. And the faint, the dead faint. Oh. Because we never find out really just how much he's been altered, do we, Vaughn? 
I, I think he mentions later on, you know, my body might be cybernetic, but uh, my brain will, will, will maintain, will, you know, still be human. But I wonder whether, you know, even if he had been shot in the face, whether, whether it wouldn't have made a difference, whether his whole body was uh, cybernized at that point. Um, but no, I was going to say, it's not just Doctor Who doing this. I mean, around about this time or, you know, through into the 70s as well you have the professionals you've got i mentioned the sweeney earlier there was just like a, a gritty sort of um acceptance of violence as part of the um the televisual landscape and ways of telling story stories i i don't know exactly why that would be but um there's there's such a reticence these days reticence these days to go back to those bad old days and it's not necessarily just violence it's you know casual sexism and racism and all of that kind of stuff that was just oh yeah it's fine it's just you know part of life i guess that was the sort of attitude perhaps um back then doesn't mean that it was right but it's certainly uh shocking to see a scene like that and think kids were watching this it's not just the sidemen and sewers it's the shot to the chest Mm. Is is the new series too sanitized then, or no. is the classic series too violent? No, it's it's all about context, yeah, and you have to sort of understand that texts are, uh, are um, you know representations of, of the times in which they're they're made, but also that the um, values and the beliefs and the, you know social mores and cues that, that sort of sit around that change with time as well. Um, it, it still doesn't make it right. But it's it's it has to be viewed through through a lens that sort of understands the, the context, the production context as well as the reception context. Stephen, I've only got one thing to say to you about all this. Mm. To me, I think it's it's astonishing <laughs> in many ways that people with a brilliance couldn't have extended their awareness not only to their cameras but to the effect they were having on the children at home. She had a lot of things to say about someone think of the children. <laughs> Someone, please think of the children. That's exactly what it is. I, I Mary Whitehouse is someone who, uh, old as she was at the time, just clearly just had zero literacy when it came to, to television, just was not able to to read it in the way that kids do. I mean, I, mean, I remember watching funny cartoons growing up. I'm fairly narcissistic, sociopathic, but I don't think I had anything to do with Doctor Who, if I'm honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, I, I grew up watching Bugs Bunny cartoons and at no point was I even tempted, I can tell you, to sort of, you know, hit my brother with a mallet uh, that Mark, was oversized. And my, my sister knocked me unconscious with a saucepan, so maybe she saw too many of those cartoons when she was... <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, well, we're all different, aren't we? Oh, this is a bit of a weird scene. This this scene here where Gregory is murdered down in the sewers. There's like a sudden cut, isn't there, in a minute to his death. Yeah. Because uh, I remember reading that the them kidnapping the professor that was supposed to be shown within the episode. yes, and instead they had yeah. scene written to kind of what is it? Karen Sticks would say, "We'll cover it with a line," you know. <laughs> Yeah, 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 and it just shows, I guess, uh, how at the whim of you know production schedules and budgets and timelines, uh, the show was. It looks expensive. I'm sure it was expensive, you know, relative to you know the weekly 45p budget that they had, but <laughs> it's still remarkably cheap television. Oh, 
But you're still down there. Uh, no, he probably been washed away with the sewage. <coughs> God, what a horrible thought. I love this guy. Who do you feel, Ed though, Joe? Burnham. I love this guy. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, Edward Burnham, the guy who plays... Um, mm. um, and he's just as good in Robot. I think he's better in Robot. I always just want to comb his hair in Robot, though. Like, he's got like, a crazy old man with <laughs> hair, isn't he? I, I think he, he has combed his hair in, in Robot, and that's the terrifying thing about it. <laughs> I, I always have to... Um, like, we're seeing Isabel and uh, Professor Watkins in the same shot at this point. It's like, oh, yeah, those two are related. Because we, we don't see them too often at all in the story. And I, obviously, they don't look anything like one another. Um, but, yeah, both the Watkins... Oh, I was completely wrong about Trout and being written out this episode, wasn't I? <laughs> um, you can ask me a question then. Well, I think we're in the same set as before, though, aren't we, right? So he's, he's still, you know, mucking around with the microscope. So this probably would have been shot in a couple of hours. Yeah. It is the same set as before, right, where we saw him Yeah, earlier. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, Jamie's like, he's like, oh, well, the plot ain't going to progress, so I'm going to have a nap. I'll have a nap, <laughs> yeah. Oh, listen, look, they've covered it with a line. Zoe's saying, I can't believe you're having a sleep, Jamie, honestly. I mean, I know it's eight episodes long, but Jesus Christ. Oh, I love all this, that the sidemen moving into position. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, just, I think we all, all wanted, like, that. In, in Dalek Invasion of Earth, those scenes from the Daleks coming over the bridge and, and you know, those really iconic moments with those landscapes. Like, I think we kind of needed the Cybermen to have, to, to, to be as big, because they are now the big villains of the series, aren't they? They've been in Two of the Cybermen, Wheel in Space, Invasion, and the Daleks <laughs> aren't to be seen anymore. Um, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. This is kind of like their big set piece of the era, isn't it? Them punching through those manholes and... Yeah, that and, and you know, exploding out of the terms on in, in terms of Simon, but it's it's one out of necessity, right? Because they've lost the rights essentially to the Daleks at this point, and the Simon are uh, the second prize, if you like. But um, I'm I actually really appreciate the Troughton um, Simon stories. I don't I don't think they're the they're the stand-in monster because you know we couldn't get the um, um, the full fee Daleks in. Um, what does Nathan call it? The um, non-union Mexican equivalent. <laughs> um, I, I don't think it's quite that bad. Um, but I think there's also a really lovely um, sort of pairing of the Doctor, the second Doctor with the Simon, in the same way that the first Doctor and the Daleks are, are synonymous with one another. Just adds to the, to the tapestry, I feel, that it's not all, always just the Daleks. But the seminal moment with Troughton and the Cyberman. I think he's in Tomb of the Cybermen where he's, he's facing down the cyber controller and the height discrepancy is hilarious. Yeah. He's yeah. like, what are you going to do with us? You don't have to answer that if you don't want to. <laughs> he <comes> to <laughs> I feel they recreate that. Look at his face. Mm. But again, the lighting. What is that lazy eye all about? I, no, I genuinely think that is um, um, Kevin Stoney, right? Oh, okay. 
Oh yeah, because Mavic Chin had an eye shut as well, didn't he? Like a kind of yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you a question earlier. Go on. Well, if we were to rate the '60s Simon stories, rank them, how would that how would that sit for you? I'm so excited, man! You ask any Doctor Who fan to rate and rank something, they get very excited. I know. Right? Um, okay, <laughs> so what have we got? We got what the, the all the 60s ones yeah 10th planet Moonlight. yeah just the 60s ones yeah okay so i'd say as a story or as a sideman story oh that's a good point of differentiation let's let's go with as a cyberman story uh okay um two of the cybermen mm-hmm. 10th planet, the invasion, mm. moon base, the wheel in space. However, if it was as a story with Cybermen in it, it would be uh, the okay, yep, yep, the invasion, tomb of the Cybermen, uh, the moon base, the 10th planet, and finally the wheel in space. The wheel in space is last both times, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I would agree with you on in both of those rankings, definitely. Wheel in Space suffers for me because it's almost as though uh, Whitaker is saying, you want sci-fi nonsense? I'll give you the biggest load of sci-fi nonsense I can come up with. A very over-elaborate um, plot of theirs in that, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think it's him genuinely taking the mickey out of it. That's why. It's like, well, you know, we'll have this insane plot, which is, seems to be what uh, you know, Doctor Who has evolved in, in the time that I've been away is kind of what he's saying. What is happening here now is on a scale that's unusual for Doctor Who. We are having um, silent scenes of London waking up. We have yeah. a few moments with our characters, and then that terrifying noise kicks in. And then the mm-hmm. I mean, I just can't imagine watching this on broadcast and not being desperately excited. Oh, completely. Even now, I love it. You know, the, the establishing shots of London at dawn, um, Jimmy and, uh, and Isabel having that that lovely just conversation between the two of them before the the um, the chaos begins. Uh, it reminds me of that line from "Is it Rebel Without a Cause?" And cool. um, it's it's uh, something along the lines of, "Do you think the Earth will end at night time?" And Jimmy Dean's character says, "No, uh, at dawn." And uh, <laughs> just sort of puts me in mind that, you know, of that uh, little moment. I don't know what, what that means and why that comes to mind. But uh, but look, they didn't even need to do this. All these probably. scenes of these extraneous characters being affected, the person with their face down on the steering wheel. It just, yeah. it just I don't know. Canfield just has a way of making these moments really memorable. But don't they repeat this trick, you know, London being uh, invaded or attacked at dawn again in things like Spearhead from Space, yeah. uh, Invasion of the Dinosaurs, we've got those establishing shots of London, you know. I actually think Invasion of the Dinosaurs might do it best, you know. I love the yeah. of the Invasion of the Dinosaurs. But here it is, Joe. Here it is. Noise, that noise. That... Most... Oh, <laughs> word. Which I... I think should have always been Simon's accompanied in the same way we've got that sort of evil mechanical heartbeat that accompanies the Daleks, even to this day. But 
Oh, you know, just you know, you know all those no. like the, those Avengers yeah. episodes with hypno sounds. This, this is basically yeah. that sound, isn't it? Quite right, quite right. But uh, beautiful cinematography. The you know Simon marching down the steps of St Paul's, reminiscent of uh, Battleship Potemkin. Um, and do you know what so, I think is only achieved maybe once again, and that's in Earthshock. Is it feels like this is an army this is this is actually yeah i mean i think they've only got eight side men or something like that but it's so well done he's shooting from different angles he makes it feel like there's a lot of them there yeah absolutely a triumph it's like a master craftsman distracting you from the fact that they've only got five of them you know but <laughs> yeah. but that's what a doctor who director has to do you know like think about day of the daleks yeah. where they don't convince you at all that there's more than three Daleks on in that final sequence. Yeah, or think of um, uh, Camfield again in uh, Terror of the Zygons, and you know the sense that there's so many Zygons running around. Whereas on a different level, a story that you and I have spoken about before, and how refreshing right now for the people to be able to actually hear you talking about it, um, Castrovalva, um, Fiona, <laughs> for a change. Fiona Cumming manages to um, convince that a tiny corner of a BBC studio, which is probably mm. just about a bit, a bit of corridor and a few doors, is this vast labyrinthine TARDIS. Like she genuinely, by yeah. just using clever camera angles and things like that, I think these Doctor Who directors were incredibly inventive. Yeah, yeah. 